Good evening, everyone. We will continue this evening with our discussion of the Bhagavat Sandarbha, how to complete the uh, introduction, and then we will begin with uh, the first section. As you remember, sections in the Sandarbhas of Jiva Goswami are referred to as Anuchedas. So in a general way, in the introduction, we were given a, an overview of the whole text. And we covered different ways that that absolute reality, when we look at it as Brahmeti, Paramatmeti, Bhagavaniti, Sabjate, different ways to view Bhagavan as the all-inclusive shelter of both Paramatma and Brahman, and then an overview of what's going to be presented in the text, of looking at his intrinsic potencies and his extrinsic potencies, and his various, what constitutes his his swarup, his nature, and how that swarup is unique, in that those characteristics that are attributed to the Supreme personality, those characteristics are intrinsic in him and are of his very nature themselves. That's unique. In the material world, we generally don't have that because the the underlying substance within material nature is mysterious and hidden. Within each, each of our bodies, we reside, but we don't see that spiritual part of ourselves. We can intuit it. We can know that it's there. We can learn about it from Shastra and we can experience it to some extent. And that some extent is the extent to which that consciousness relates with our physical being and our mental being and our psychic being. That's basically as far as it goes until we can purify our consciousness, we, as followers of, of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, we recognize that most of our attempts will be futile because we look at the other, other various darshans, the other various visions of the truth. So we have a darshan of the deity, so there's, in India, all the different schools of thought are also called darshan. You have darshans that look at absolute reality in entirely different ways. And we have a certain way that we look at it, and in looking at it, we recognize the shortcomings of any path that depends solely on our own effort, because we're infinitesimal, and the modes of material nature appear to be insurmountable. And even we hear of great yogis who, who get pretty close to the summit only to fall down. And there's also great yogis that make the summit, but they're very few and far between. There's not a lot of Sukadevs out there that can walk naked in the world free of any, of any desire. How many, how many Jud Bharats? This is not the common occurrence. It's a very rare circumstance where someone is actually completely 
what we would say conquered over the modes of material nature. And as a way of teaching of the dangers and perils of material existence, Krishna even sometimes puts his devotee. It makes it, he makes them appear to be fully overtaken by material nature. Even his close friend Arjuna. I don't want nothing to do with this battle. Better I live as a beggar than to kill people that are my friends and my gurus and my family members. I, I don't see how that's possible for me. The methodology for our path is we're striving for grace, realizing that without the grace, conquering over our senses becoming steadfast, conquering over the modes of material nature, becoming fully detached, is especially in this age, at this time, in this culture, it seems impossible. So we strive for grace. We recognize grace as our only, our only hope. And in fact, we sometimes pray in despair Hope against hope, because I can't even find hope. I, I don't even know where to go for that hope. I'm in such a desperate situation. So in this introduction, we've gone over, as I said, certain ways that Jiva Goswami in his Bhagavat Sandarbha is going to show the position of Bhagavan, a conception, one of three conceptions regarding the absolute reality, as being the topmost and all-inclusive of the other two. He will go on in his next Sundarva, the Paramatma Sundarva, to outline exactly what is that manifestation of Bhagavan, who is all-pervasive throughout the material universe, manifesting as the Purusha avatars, and the guna avatars as the indwelling antaryami of every specific living entity, the tatasta shakti. We left off in this quick review of the introduction with an understanding that comes through revelation and shastra of the nature of the Lord's intrinsic potencies. They're all conscious. And they are all, in themselves, personalities. It's amazing. His, his weapons, his dress, his associates, of course, are personalities. His potencies all have a personal relationship with him. They're not only of his nature, but they also are distinct in their, in their serving capacity. So we'll go on. Bhagavan's internal energy has three aspects. Existence. Again, this is in the in, in, internal intrinsic potency. So existence, sandini. Awareness, samvat, cognition. And enjoyment, bliss, ladini. And the chit potency, the samvit potency, now these potencies are referred to differently when they when they simply apply to the atma, 
the self. There we simply refer to these same potencies in their minutest of forms, for the jiva as what? Sat, chit, ananda. But when we talk about them in their all-inclusiveness as part of Krishna's nature, of Bhagavan's nature, they're referred to as Sandini, Samvit, and Ladini. Samvit supersedes Sandini, supersedes it in that it is in, it's inclusive in it. You may just exist, but existing without knowledge of existence is what kind of existence. So one is inclusive of the other. Also, when we come to Ladini, that supersedes the other two. So if you have bliss, you have it all. These potencies constitute his, his nature, his abode, and his associates. Bhagavan's form consists of existence, consciousness, and bliss. Satchitananda Rupatva. But it cannot be cognizized by material senses. We cannot not perceive his transcendentalness, his form, his nature, his name. We have no capacity. Atta Shri Krishna Nabadi Nabavet Graham Indriya. The Indriyas, the senses we we use in this world of matter, cannot perceive spirit. It's not within their wavelength to perceive what is spiritual. He goes on and expl- will explain to us how Bhagavan's name is his name itself has the same potencies as his essential being. And it's for that reason that it is so potent and so approachable that Nam Japa and Nam Sankirtan have been recommended by Bhagavan himself in his manifestation of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. He'll end up this Sandarbha, Bhagavat Sandarbha, in showing that when we look to any interaction between that Supreme Personality and the material realm, that interaction is only for one purpose. He has nothing to do with material nature. His only purpose in even manifesting material universes from their unmanifest form, uh, same substance, pradana, manifest and unmanifest, only one reason, and that's to give facility and enthuse and reciprocate with his devotees. There's no other purpose for a material manifestation. I have to give them facility to to complete the path that they're on to extricate themselves from my external potency. So I come again and again to and I manifest again and again simply for this purpose. So this grace is of course a display of his internal potency. 
and it is only available through the sadhana of bhakti. And in order to have and take advantage of the full benefit of bhakti, we must have a clear conceptual understanding of the supreme absolute truth as Bhagavan with all of his potencies without any doubts. And it's to that end that Jiva Goswami has taken such care and attention to present his Satsandarbhas. He concludes by showing that the Bhagavat Sandarbha, the second Sandarbha, provides an indispensable foundation for our spiritual practice, sadhana. Having this deep understanding, it's not that it's any different in the basic knowledge that we receive in the Sangha of devotees. It's a representation from one of the architects of our Sampradaya. But you will find, I was just reviewing the discourse of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu to Sarva Bhakacharya, and all the points that are there in the Bhagavat Sandarbha and the Paramatma Sandarbha are in they are in that discourse in one form or another, all that philosophy. And it's there underlying all of the various leela that's presented and philosophy that's presented in the course of that leela and those lives of the great devotees as presented in Srimad Bhagavatam. So it's the same thing. It's just being presented in a very systematic manner. And as Jiva Goswami says, notes were there first from Gopal Bhatta Goswami. He began the task. He started to, to put together notes as to how these various points of the Siddhanta that constitutes the teachings of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu can be seen to run through the discourses in Srimad Bhagavatam. So after this short introduction, we have an overview. Now let's begin to dive into exactly how Jiva Goswami is going to make these various points that we've just gone over and school us in deeply. And there's a certain kind of logic that he uses. It's like pounding a post, pounding a rod. The more you pound it in, the more firm it becomes. It may seem sometimes a little repetitive what's presented, but it's for a good reason. As we study a presentation as deep as the Sandarbhas to develop a more well-grounded approach to our spiritual understanding that nurtures our spiritual practice, we can't expect to comprehend it all on the first pass. There's so much there. But we come away with at least the philosophical points. The nomenclature, that, may, that comes later. 
and it's we also see that in the advancement of devotees, the the uh, kanista adhikari, the majjam, the uttama. When the devotee has engaged in the process of sadhana bhakti, and actually comes to the stage of uttama, he knows this philosophy so deeply. He's fully acquainted with all the shastra. So fully that it's overwhelming. We hear someone quote verses one after the other after the other to make a philosophical point and we're we're just like in wonder. How is that possible? But that comes the more one dives into these kind of presentations and absorbs uh, what's being presented. So the Mangalacharana of this second uh, Sandarbha is very short. As you remember, the first Mangalacharana in the Tattva Sandarbha was eight slokas composed by Jiva Goswami. So in this Sandarbha, he has two. One is the exact same sloka as in his Tattva, and the other is a combination of two slokas. For the pleasure of the two sages, Sri Rupa Goswami and Sri Sanatan Goswami, I am rearranging this book. Compiled by Sri Gopal Bhatta Goswami, who was born in South India. Some parts of his book, referring again to Gopal Bhatta Goswami, some parts of his book were in order and some were not, some out of order, while others were incomplete or missing. After thorough deliberation, Sri Jiva now writes it in an appropriate order. One thing that's nice at the end of the uh, Paramatma Sandarbha is the way he refers to uh, Rupa and Sanatango Swami. He says that they're re- the revered leaders of the Royal Assembly of World Vaishnavas. In the commentary on this Mangalacharana, it's made apparent that actually the Sandarbhas are one book in six sections, six. So it's one big, big book because it's just a continuation. So the first Anucheda uh, gives us entrance into the text and takes off where the Tattva Sandarbha left off. Absolute reality manifests in three different ways. And I'll read an English translation of this Anucheda beginning of it. The first part of Srimad Bhagavatam 1 to 11 describes absolute reality in a general manner characterized as non-dual consciousness. Then the second part elaborates the absolute more specifically. Quote, this non-dual consciousness is referred to as Brahman, Paramatma, and Bhagavan. End quote. This one non-dual absolute thus manifests its own existence in one of these three aspects in exact accordance with the specific qualification of the worshiper. So the verse cited from Srimad Bhagavatam 1 to 11, Viranti tat tat vavidas tat vamyaj janam advayam Brahmeti, Parabhatmeti, Bhagavad Iti Sabjate. He's starting off by 
explaining in this Sandarbha one half of one sloka. That's the core item that's going to be elaborated upon throughout this Bhagavat Sandarbha. Brahmati, Paramatmati, Bhagavad Iti Samjate. There's only two because Paramatma is included in Bhagavan as one of his potencies, as is Brahman. And there's nothing we can say about Brahman because it has no, there's no characteristics there. But what's so interesting about this introduction to the book, the Bhagavat Sandarbha, is this. This one non-dual absolute thus manifests its own existence in one of three aspects. He manifests in one of three aspects in exact accordance with the specific qualification of the worshiper. It's one absolute, but it's the qualification of the worshiper that brings about that specific manifestation of the absolute truth. So as you approach, then that is the reciprocation. So in the Tattvasandarva, we concentrated basically on what? Non-dual consciousness. That was the main thrust in the last half of the book. We started out with, if we're going to inquire about the nature of being, the nature of ourself, the nature of existence, and the nature of the source of existence, then we need to have a valid means of inquiry. We need to take that truth from the best source we can have, the best source that's available to us. And then Jiva goes to great lengths to say, well, I know what that source is in my opinion, and let me try to convince you. And he takes great care in showing that if we look at the fact that there is transcendent sound, sound coming from the spiritual realm, sound that's not contaminated by the modes of material nature, and we look at those sound vibrations that are there from that transcendental realm for the welfare of the living entity, and we look at all the different ways those sounds are presented for living entities in different modes of material nature and for living entities striving to be relieved from material nature and for living entities striving for a comprehensive solution which is the best that can be found. We take Srimad Bhagavatam as the topmost Praman, the topmost evidence. And then in the second half of the Tattvas and Dharma, the presentation was on consciousness. Consciousness, intrinsic consciousness, how we can intuit the consciousness of the Supreme based on the way our consciousness works. We, let's look outside of ourselves. How can we intuit the consciousness of the Supreme as we view the world, 
and the manifestation of the world and the wonder of the world, we could intuit something of that level of consciousness which makes, even though the world is a world of duality, of hot and cold, pleasure and pain, good and bad, although that's all in the world, one who can contemplate can see an underlying majesty to the manifestation. What kind of consciousness is that? So the second half, Jiva Goswami presented this, what's the nature of this non-dual consciousness? He did make some pretty strong arguments about radical non-dualism. Very simple. Radical non-dualism is when we take a view of the of the Supreme as Brahman, Brahmati, Paramatmati, Bhagavaniti, Subjate. Well, it's a valid way of looking at the Supreme. There's no question about that. There's so much knowledge on that darshan, that spiritual vision in the Vedas, specifically in the Upanishads. But Sankaracharya has started a sampradaya, his own sampradaya, which is based on a misunderstanding of Brahman rooted in his own convoluted interpretation of the Vedas. But he was told to do it by a higher authority. So it is sanctified. But it's not a valid means of self-realization because it involves an offensive attitude to Shastra, first of all, in that we, we inquire submissively Tadvidi pratipatena pariprashnena seva. We inquire, we have a serious inquiry, but we don't project our own interpretation on the knowledge that we receive. That's the proper method of advancing in spiritual understanding. His approach is simply let me take the Vedas and this is what I this is what they mean to me. Let me give you my idea. But his ideas are not logical. So Jiva took some time in his Tattva Sandarbha to, for a few Anuchetas, point out the, this defect. Because now, going forward in the Bhagavat Sandarbha, he's going to give the proper presentation of Brahmati, Brahman. So there's Mayavad philosophy and then there's Brahmavad philosophy. One, we don't want anything to do with. The other, we accept as a potency of the Supreme. But it's not complete. And it's not full of bliss. Well, it is a little bit. But the people that have tasted the bliss of Bhagavan look at that bliss as infinitesimal. 
not even a drop in the ocean, as the Goswamis say, of the unlimited bliss that could be had in developing a personal relationship to the Supreme as opposed to accepting the impersonal conception of the Supreme. So now we go forward, Bhagavat Sandarva, with after we have this general understanding of the nature of divine consciousness. Now we come to the second half of the verse and we look at the different visions, schools of thought, darshans, which are coming from Shastra, from transcendental sound vibration, and adapted by different classes of men through different associations in their perception of the Supreme Absolute. Some look at it as Brahman, some look at it as Paramatma, some look at it as Bhagavan. What's the distinction between these different viewpoints and which one's best? If we're going to take the time to inquire, let's at least make an intellectual attempt to find out if we look to the whole of Vedic literature, what is given as the topmost? So many schools of thought out there, but what's really the heart, the cream, the essence of Vedic thought? So looking at the conclusion of the Tattvasandarva, we were left with that absolute non-dual consciousness. It is that shelter of everything that we experience in existence. It is, and it is also the shelter of all spiritual revelation. And that existence in the modes of material nature and that revelation, that spiritual revelation, is most comprehensively presented to humanity in the Srimad Bhagavatam. So now from that general description, the Ashraya, now we're going to get specific. And when we look to these three levels of completion, how one is disposed has a lot to do with what we're going to perceive as absolute reality. And Krishna confirms this in the Bhagavad Gita. He gives a verse, what's he say? Ye yata mam prapadyante tamstataiva vajam yam mamavartmanu vartante manusya parthasarvasa all of them as they surrender unto me, as they conceive me, I reward accordingly. Now when we look at the different paths, the different yogic paths, we can generally attribute those disciplines to a certain conception. The jnanis' conception is generally that school of yoga ends in the Brahman conception of the Absolute. The yogis, their conception generally ends in the Paramatma conception of the Absolute. And the bhakti yogi which we consider the highest, ends in Bhagavan, the Bhagavan conception of the Supreme. As a 
evidence to, well, we gave one evidence from Bhagavad Gita. As they approached me, I reward, I reward accordingly. Another evidence from the Bhagavatam is in the third canto, the English translation, ninth chapter. O Master, you take your seat in the lotus heart that has been made worthy of you through love, praying. Even so, the way to reach you can be understood through hearing. Out of kindness towards your devotees, O greatly glorified Lord, you take the very form they meditate on and appear to them in that way. So a question may come. Krishna says, as you approach me, I reward accordingly. And we have this verse from the Bhagavatam that says, you take the very form they meditate on and appear to them in that way. One would think, well, so I can meditate on any form of the Lord as, as I conceive it. Is that what these verses are saying? No. In the verse we just read, the verse, the, the Sanskrit is there, Shruta Iksita, seen through the ear. Patha, the path. The path that we take to be able to have that darshan of the Lord has to come down. It cannot be an ascending process. It too, it has to come from the transcendental realm. So the aspiring transcendentalist, he has to hear from authority. We have to hear from authority as to what are the acceptable paths to spiritual revelation. And of course, the verse under discussion, Brahmati, Paramatmati, Bhagavaniti, Subjate, Subjate indicates that only the words differ, that the absolute reality is one. So these three words delineate that absolute reality. Not everybody's at the same degree of realization, however. Not everyone has the same degree of understanding, of realization. Krishna also explains that in the Bhagavad Gita. The yogis who meditates on Paramatma, God is the eminent absolute, is superior to the aesthetic. He is regarded as superior even to the jnanis, the adherents of Brahman and also to those who follow scriptures with material motive. Therefore, O Arjuna, be a yogi. So here Krishna is speaking about simply coming to the platform of the astanga yogi and his aspiration to see the eminent self throughout the material manifestation. He's superior to these other yogis that I'm mentioning. He's superior, superior to the jnani. He's superior to the aesthetic. He's superior. He has a, a better conception. But in that same chapter, Krishna goes on, Yogi Namapi Sarve Sammatgatena Taratmana Shravan Bajateyo Mam Same Yukta Tamomata. But of all these yogis that Krishna was discussing, uh, he who endowed with fates faith worships me with his heart-mind attention fully absorbed in me, in my opinion, is the greatest of all transcendentalists. 
So if we want to accept Bhagavan Sri Krishna's opinion, he says, well, these are all great transcendentalists, but you know what I think? I think the bhakti is the best. That's the end of the first Anucheta, and we'll stop there this evening. Thank you so much for your association. Hare Krishna.